This recording has been produced by Christchurch, Jerusalem. For more information, visit us at cmj-israel.org. So this um, season of Easter, we've been really looking at the passages uh, in the book of Acts assigned to us by, more or less, by the, the lectionary. And um, the lectionary is a very good discipline because if it wasn't for a lectionary, most preachers would preach their 10 favorite sermons over and over again. And here, in this case, it really forces us uh, to grapple, for example, with Acts chapter 16, or passages in John that uh, we may not like or we may not understand, we may prefer Luke or Romans. Uh, so the lectionary is a way of keeping us honest. And it's probably important to note that the tradition of having assigned readings comes to us from the Jewish people. It's not some uh, so-called Christian invention, uh, but it's something that uh, we, a gift we receive from the Jewish people. So I'd just like to make uh, some remarks, uh, thinking first about the gospel, but applying the words that we read in the gospel to uh, Acts chapter 16. Because Acts chapter 16, we have Paul doing some incredible uh, and amazing things. And we've been asking the question uh, since Easter Sunday, what is it that transforms the lives of people? What is it that took these disciples who were um, at first very cowardly and locked themselves up uh, in, in quote-unquote fear of the Jews when the Jewish leadership in Jerusalem wasn't even looking for them? What transformed them uh, from cowards to people who were quite courageous? What transforms Paul from being a murderer and a killer, a killer and a persecutor of the church? What trans, a few weeks ago we looked at what, what transforms communities uh, what enables Jews and Gentiles who are once, who are once enemies to uh, worship together and to love each other in one new man. And of course, we can all say it's the risen Jesus. It's a little bit more than that and a little bit more complicated than such. So I'd like to just uh, begin by reminding us what we read uh, in the Gospels. Um, and the main, I think, verse in our passage uh, is this promise of peace that Jesus is going to give. Now he's about to leave. His disciples are certainly uh, afraid of the future. What's going to happen to them? <clears throat> How are things going to function without Jesus who's been our teacher? Um, what is their future going to look like? What is the future of the movement going to look like? Where is guidance and direction uh, going to come from? And Jesus tells his disciples, don't let your hearts be troubled. I'm giving you peace. I'm giving you peace not as the world gives, right? Not uh, a peace uh, that means that there's no war uh, or there's an absence of conflict, nor am I giving you some psychological... Uh, 12-step program to make you feel better <coughs> uh, about your life. Uh, I'm giving you something, Jesus is going to say, I'm giving you something deeper. 
And I think that what's deeper uh, in John 14, the peace that Jesus gives, and later we read about the joy that he gives, is a peace and even a joy that comes from being in relationship with him. We sometimes think of it as an automatic download, right? And it is sometimes. We can walk in, uh, we can be in certain situations and we can ask for peace and we can know his peace. We can ask for his joy. But more often than not, this peace comes out of being in a loving relationship with Jesus. And that, what does that loving relationship look like? It means that we are obeying his commandments. Yes, that's what love looks like. It's not so much a feeling or an emotion. It's nice if it's a feeling or an emotion. Uh, it's not a sentiment. It's not some kind of uh, intellectual idea. But really, there is a sense of gratitude in all of this. Yes, the gratitude is, is that because of what God has done for us in Christ, the great the salvation the, that he's purchased us by his blood, that he has redeemed us, that he has lifted the curse of sin from us, that he has conquered death, and very importantly, by the way, conquers the fear of death in our life if we let him. Otherwise, we're all enslaved by the fear of death. Most of us don't know it because we keep busy to, as a way of trying to <coughs> avoid thinking uh, about such a thing, that we're trans transferred from the kingdom of darkness into the kingdom of light. And, by the way, as a part of this package, you might say that God very often delivers us from our troubles. Troubles we may have in our marriage, the troubles we may have in our family, the troubles we may have with the income tax people, whatever it may be. Um, but so out of gratitude, what should our response be? Our response should be, we should love, uh, we, we should love, but the way that love is expressed is by doing what Jesus asks us to do is by <clears throat> keeping his commandments. And sometimes, um, as I mentioned in the morning, sometimes first the epistles of John are helpful commentaries on what we read in the Gospel of John. And so it's very um, useful or helpful to read the two together. And uh, there is a, um, a verse, or more than one verse, that... Um, I think, uh, comments on what uh, we read in the gospel. And it says, dear friends, it says, um, and this, well, it goes on to say, if our hearts do not condemn us, we have confidence before God and receive from him anything we ask because we say in the name of Jesus, we receive from him anything we ask because we use the right translation of the Bible. We receive from him anything we ask because we have all the right doctrine. We have all our T's crossed and all our I's dotted. No, we receive what we ask for because we obey his commandments. I'm not sure the prospect, not sure that's 
in the canon of the prosperity preachers, okay? We obey his commandments. Uh, because we obey his commands and we do what pleases him. How many of us think, how many of us going through the day ask ourselves the question, is what I'm doing pleasing the Lord or is that a foreign concept to us? Yes? And then it goes on to say, and what is his command? What is he commanding us to do? Well, here's what it says. It says uh, he commands us to believe, yeah, in the name of his son, Jesus the Messiah. So here's a command to believe. Well, wait a minute, that doesn't quite go with the Protestant scheme of things. Belief is about faith, yes, <clears throat> and you should, faith is a gift. But here, you're commanded to believe. And believe, we've mentioned this before and even several weeks ago, but I think it's really important, especially, again, because of the Protestant paradigm, because of the Protestant world in which we live in, the evangelical world in which we live in, which I have a lot of respect for. Uh, and there's a lot, of good, uh, a lot of good points about evangelicalism. But uh, often, more often than not, the way it's understood is that uh, to believe in Jesus is something intellectual. It's something that happens in the head. Uh, it, it happens and it's a sort of a one-time event. I accept Christ into my heart. I trust in Christ. I uh, walk down the aisle, whatever it may be. But when John's gospel talks about belief over and over again, and the, and the epistles talk about belief over and over again, they're talking about something so much deeper. They're not talking about something intellectual, and they're not talking about a one-time event. Are they? They're talking, in the Greek, it's something that's continual. And it's this understanding of putting our lives or entrusting ourselves to Jesus, committing ourselves to Jesus, um, abiding with Jesus, staying with Jesus. It's being in relationship with someone. That's <clears throat> what the gospel is all about. It's being in relationship with Jesus. Who knows Raymond Brown? Anyone? Anyone's ever read Raymond Brown? Yeah, Raymond Brown... He's a Catholic priest who studied the Gospel of John for 40 years of his life. If you ever want to read a commentary on the book of John, I would say there's only one, read his. And after 40 years, you know what he concluded? He said, he concluded that after studying this Gospel and the epistles of John, his whole entire life, he said that to, to, uh, to believe in Jesus in John's Gospel is no different than being a disciple that discipleship and belief are exactly the same thing. And so, why is this, uh, why is this important? Because this is, the, this, is what, this is the basis of the relationship. So we're being commanded to believe, we're, we're being commanded to entrust ourselves, to commit ourselves, to come into the closest possible relationship with Jesus. And then it says, and we should love one another. This is what's being commanded. These are the commandments that 
I think is being spoken about in John's gospel, that we should love one another. And this forms the basis of a relationship. And the basis of that relationship, I don't know if you've noticed, is that uh, when this happens, Jesus talks about giving the Spirit. And when this happens, and when we're in that kind of relationship, Jesus talks about giving us peace. Many of us don't know that peace because we're not in that kind of a trusting, dependent relationship with Jesus. <clears throat> now, I'll tell you the people, I'll tell you two people who were, who understood this, I think, is when we read about Paul <clears throat> and Silas. And uh, they are uh, going to Lydia. Uh, they're going to uh, Philippi. And just think of what they do. This is not only courageous, okay, but there's a sense of boldness. I mean, if there's any anxiety, we don't see it. Maybe there was some anxiety, maybe there's with fear. They start off by going to uh, Philippi, where uh, there's virtually no foundation to build on. There's no synagogue, apparently, in the town. And so in the ancient world, when Jews didn't have a synagogue, where did they go and pray? By a river. So they go down to the river to pray. This is not a hillbilly hymn, okay? Uh, they go down to the river to pray. They meet Lydia, uh, and she probably is a God-fearer. Of course, she becomes a follower of Jesus. But again, just think of the world they're entering in. It's a world that's very hostile. It's a world <coughs> that uh, is uh, very pagan, very idolatrous. The city of uh, Philippi was obviously pretty anti-Jewish and anti-Semitic. And of course, anti-Semitism was uh, something quite uh, strong uh, in the Greek world, the Greek Hellenistic, Roman Hellenistic world uh, in the time of Jesus. Unfortunately, that's where the early church uh, picked up a lot of anti-Jewish sentiment from. Uh, and yet, you know, Paul walks into this world. Yeah, many of us are worried about what folks are saying about us on Facebook. And then there's the encounter with the demonic. There's the encounter with this, <clears throat> with the occult, with idolatry. Uh, I don't think Paul goes looking for this, but three times in the book of Acts, Paul encounters the demonic. And the gospel will always expose the demonic. And the demonic will always snap back, <clears throat> will always attack. And of course, it's not just something spiritual. There is a huge, uh, this is, what is, uh, uh, the occult here is tied into a, um, quite an extensive uh, economic network, yes? Because all of this pays, sort of like pornography is today. Yes, which I think also has an element of the demonic in it, uh, the way people are being seduced and enslaved, uh, et cetera, et cetera. And um, what is, I mean, again, how, how do you encounter this? How do you address this? And I think Paul and Silas here, are full of, they have this peace that passes all understanding.
And again, this peace comes out of a relationship with Jesus. And they also have a, this, also they have a, a sense of boldness and courage. And maybe the two go together. Maybe they're kissing cousins. And then we come to, you know, to, um, we come to the, uh, oh, let me just go back to the demonic. Because the demonic and the encounter with this whole demonic network or this whole demonic system, <clears throat> again, it's just not this slave girl. And this, the paganism, the idolatry, Paul, on one hand, later says in Corinthians, you know, there's nothing to demons. I mean, there's nothing to, not to demons, sorry. There's nothing to statues. There's nothing to idols. They're just wood and stone. But he says behind them, yes, behind them stands the demonic, which deceives people. And so the, and so the, the demons of this world, which stand behind the idols of every age, they're destructive. They destroy the lives of people. Yes, they, they bring chaos. They bring confusion, as we can see in the world today, when there's incredible confusion, morally and ethically. Um, and of course, the, the demons um, who stand behind the idols, they all want blood. Do they not? And they all, they all want blood. They all, <clears throat> there's the God of war demands blood. The God of pleasure and convenience demands blood. This, in this case, the, the rate of abortion, yes. The God of business and finance, you want to succeed in your career, more likely than not, you will end up destroying your family in many places, yes? So there's always a price, there's always a price to pay. Yet Paul seems unflappable, yes? Again, I don't think he goes looking for demons. I'm going to find a spirit here, and there's a spirit under that chair, and I'm going to figure out which ruling spirit controls which part of the city. All that stuff, by the way, is dangerous. And people who engage in this kind of spiritual warfare end up in car wrecks or have cancer. It's not the spiritual warfare. Um, it's not the, we do not have dialogues with demons. And we don't do the archaeology of evil. The point in the Gospels and in the book of Acts is that Jesus is more powerful than this and that he's defeated them. And we don't need to ask too many questions and be too intrigued by these things because they're dangerous. Yes, I like the, very much in the, in the book of Jude where um, Michael is fighting with um, Satan over the body of Moses. And what does Michael say? He says, the Lord rebuke you. That, by the way, is the best form of spiritual warfare. The Lord rebuke you. In the name of Jesus, Paul says. And the name of Jesus isn't a formula. In the name of Jesus, Paul says, for the sake of Jesus, according to the way that Jesus taught us, according to the authority in which he gave us. And I say to you, he says to the slave girl. And then we have the story of Paul going to the prison. 
So Paul has disrupted the town. By the way, Paul has unsettled the culture <coughs> of the day. Remember what the people say, you know, this, these guys are doing, they're teaching strange doctrines. You know, we here in this city, we don't do this Jewish stuff. Um, so of course there's a confrontation uh, with the culture. And, and I just ask the question, you know, how many of us are unsettled or worried about what people are going to say about us or worried about our future? Because especially in the West, as there's more, as there's more and more uh, kind of an anti-Christian uh, worldview, or in places in the global South, such as uh, China or India, where there's more and more persecution of Christians. Can we have peace in the midst of all this? Yes? Can we have peace in the midst of a world that's really being turned upside down? And it's always dangerous to live at a time when great powers go up and great powers go down. And we're living in such a time. I'll let you figure out who's going up and who's going down. Okay? We live in such a time. We live in such a time uh, when... People are, uh, governments are spending trillions of dollars on weapons. And I'm not a pacifist, because occasionally we, we have to take measures to defend ourselves. But trillions of dollars are being spent on weapons, and the world is no more secure. Yes, somebody's going to start using these weapons one day. Weapons from outer space, lasers, chemical weapons... Now, can we be at peace? Not that we have to necessarily tolerate or agree with what's going on around us. I don't believe that. But uh, still, can we be at peace and not panic? And of course, Paul's ultimate test <clears throat> is that he's thrown into the prison. Is he not? He's thrown into the jail. Um, and what does Paul do? He calls, the, he calls his lawyer. <laughs> he refuses to make a statement. <laughs> you know? um, he calls his press agent. He prays and sings hymns. Yes, he prays and sings hymns. And I think if you want to talk about a peace that passes all understanding, isn't this the case? Yes. When we go to um, Poland, I encourage everybody who comes on the tour with me, not that most people do it, to read um, the Viktor Frankl book, yeah, Man's Search for Meaning. Who's read that book? Anyone? Paul and Bob? So Viktor Frankl, he was uh, a Viennese. He was a, a psychiatrist and a, I think he was a medical doctor too, and he, uh, maybe he was a neurologist, he was arrested by the Nazis. He was in charge of the large uh, mental hospital in Vienna. He was taken to Auschwitz, where after two or three days, he was fortunate to be sent to a labor camp uh, in Germany. Uh, and there he was beaten and humiliated and starved uh, and forced to... Uh, to build bricks without straw. Um, and he was, of course, emaciated, uh, separated from his wife, 
um, not having any idea when he would ever get out of this labor camp. And he's, he wrote, he said, the Nazis, the Germans, they took everything from me. They took everything from me. I had nothing. But he said I had one thing they could not take from me. They could not take my reaction. It was up to me how I was going to react to what they did to me. Either I was going to lose hope and give up, or I was going to continue to fight and find meaning. Okay? Uh, that, he said, was left in my hands. And that's exactly what Paul does in that prison. Paul predates <clears throat> Viktor Frankl, you know, by 2,000 years. Yes, Paul begins to praise the Lord. He begins to worship. And um, it's very interesting. His worship will lead to the conversion of the second or third, really the first significant conversion. I don't want to discount Lydia. Uh, will lead to, will begin the conversion of Europe. Worship, it starts with worship. And is that not the goal? Is it not the goal of mission? The goal of mission is more than just having a bunch of people saved. The goal of mission, as we see in the book of Acts, is to create new communities that do what? That praise and worship God. When we read, last week we read from uh, Revelation 7, that millions of people stand around the throne. The, and, and part of it is some are Jewish people, some are Gentiles. So it's Israel and the nations that are around the throne, worshiping God and worshiping the Lamb. That's the end goal of all of this. And so <clears throat> this worship uh, begins, the earthquake happens, yes. And uh, of course, Paul probably takes charge of the situation, makes sure no, no one escapes or runs away. And the jailer says, I hate to bother your evangelical theology, but the jailer says, what must I do to get to heaven? He said, I'm worried about spending eternity in hell. Did he say that? He said, you know, what's going to happen to my mortal soul? <laughs> we take that verse out of context. Okay? The, the jailer is saying, hey, you know what? I'm in big trouble here. You know, he's about to kill himself. Why? Because he will be executed for allowing uh, these, any prisoners to escape. He will be executed. What can I do to be saved? And what, is, what does Paul say? Start a relationship with Jesus. Start a relationship with Jesus. Of course, coming into relationship with Jesus will indeed give us life after death. There's no question about it. But uh, the issue for this jailer and for the rest of us, can we have life before death? Yes? Is there life <coughs> before death? And having that relationship with the Lord, yes, having that peace that passes all understanding, Yes, entering into that place of intimacy based on obeying his commandments and loving each other. 
we should be able to answer in the affirmative. Yes? Now, what is the purpose? Let's end by saying, what is the purpose of this peace? What is the purpose of all this love stuff that we read about in the book of John? I mean, we, here we are. We, uh, for some of you, I mean, you were, this will be irrelevant, but for people of my, uh, my age group, the over 80s, um, you know, we're in the 50th year of Woodstock. I mean, my goodness. Like I said last week, if you weren't at Woodstock, you missed it, okay? I mean, if you weren't there, you missed it. Um, I, I couldn't go because my mom wouldn't let me. So, <clears throat> And so it was all about love. And uh, the summer of love, of course, was a few years before this. And all you need is love. And it's very easy to read these passages and think, yeah, this is... Uh, this is about a small group, uh, you know, that's kind of into each other and a group that uh, relates to each other. You might say it's, you know, you could, some, in fact, some people do, that uh, John's community was one small, happy Christian commune. Yes, it was all about love. But my dear friends, I'd like to stress to you the reason that God gives us this peace and the reason that God gives us this joy, the reason that he commands us to love one another, okay, is actually, and dare I say this word in Jerusalem, I mean, in every congregation we have our stinkers, do we not? People who are spying for the anti-missionary police. So I better say it anyway. It's all about mission. It's all about reaching outward, going outward. It's not about keeping it to ourselves. It's not about creating some club <coughs> or about, about living in a ghetto. And by the way, it is very easy to live in a ghetto when you think the world is hostile. The easiest thing to do is to withdraw and to say, they don't like me? Well, I'm not going to feed the poor. And I'm not going to minister to drug addicts. They misunderstand me? Well, we'll just circle the wagons and hold out till Jesus comes. Yes? It's a temptation. It's a temptation the Jewish people face. It's a temptation that we as Christians must also face. We come to two weeks, three weeks, three weeks, Trinity Sunday, which is my favorite Sunday of the year. Yeah? The purpose of the Christian, the, the, the way the Christian community should operate is that we should operate according to the, uh, we should model ourselves after the Trinity. Should we not? What does the Trinity do? The Trinity doesn't suck it in and take it for itself. The Trinity gives out. God, the, now most people don't understand the Trinity and the Trinity is some weird doctrine that we'd rather not talk about or it has no connection with the way that we live our lives uh, on a daily basis. Yes, it's just out there, some doctrine that we don't understand, but it has everything to do with the way that we live our lives. It's very practical because the Father gives selflessly to the Son. The Father gives to the world. Yes, the Father uh, gives the Spirit to us.
The Son gives the Spirit to us. The Son loves the disciples, yes, and expects us to go out, not to keep it in or to keep it amongst ourselves, but to reach out to the world. And the world in John's Gospel may be hostile, hostile to us, hostile to the believers, hostile to Jesus, but there's not one hint that God or the Son hate the world as some of us may do, okay? God so loves the world that he doesn't want any of them to perish, okay? And I'd like to end, um, again, with this, the context of um, just reading from John's Gospel and reminding us of verses that you know, uh, <clears throat> okay? And maybe... It's, uh, certainly it was a reality that Paul and the early church uh, was, uh, was certainly aware of. And really, and no matter what situation God calls us, whether God calls us to lay hands on the sick or just to visit the sick in the hospital, whatever we do in his name, we should go uh, with his peace whether we're confronting demons or confronting the idolatry of our age or confronting a person like the jailer, confronting or encountering someone like that jailer who, uh, whose life was chaotic, who, uh, a man who was in distress, that in any of these situations, I trust that uh, we will not only be filled with the Holy Spirit, but uh, we will have that... Um, courage, boldness, uh, and even wisdom to know what to do. So here I'd like to finish. And you, again, you know these verses. It says, uh, a new command I give you, love one another as I have loved you. By this, all men will know that you're in my commune. Yeah? By this, all men will, you know, will know that you have, you know, you have seen the Grateful Dead on tour. By this, all men will know that you are my disciples. Again, it's not just for us, but it's for those who are outside. Um, another one. Jesus says, he says, to praying to the Father, my prayer is not for them alone. I pray also for those who believe in me through their message, that all of them may be one. Again, talking about unity. And unity like love is not an end in itself. All right? Father, just as you are in me and I am in, I am in you, may they also be in us so that the world may believe that you sent me. Yes? And we could go on and on. Okay? But whether it's love or unity or joy or peace... All of these are wonderful things. They all come out of an intimate relationship with Jesus. And they're not only for our blessing and for our edification, but they're for our ministry and our outreach to the world in which we live. Let's pray. Lord, we um, ask that you will look upon us. Lord, look upon our weakness uh, and our faults. Uh, our laziness, our ignorance, and forgive us. But Lord, we pray that you will also see our faith as little as it may be. And we ask that you would honor that faith.
And uh, we ask that you would indeed strengthen us uh, in the power of the Holy Spirit, that you would give us in all situations, Lord, that we find ourselves a peace that passes all understanding. Lord, your joy, even uh, a full measure of the Holy Spirit. So, Lord, that we can give, pass that on and give that to others. We may bring your presence uh, into the lives of a very needy and hurting world. We ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you for listening. If you've been blessed by this teaching, let us know by leaving a comment on our Facebook page or leaving a review in iTunes. You can offer practical support to Christ Church Jerusalem by clicking the Donate Now button on our Facebook page. Thank you and blessings from the City of the King.